And today we begin a series of messages about things that God says that can be new. A, a new covenant and a new life and new commandments and new hope and a new heaven and a new earth. We could list on and on. It, we get excited about that. But let me, let me say this. Here's my issue with this, this theme we begin today, and I want to deal with it right up front. It's often what I don't think can be new is me. How about you? I mean, you get frustrated because the problems you faced 10 years ago, you're still facing. You, you, you begin to make resolutions that you don't keep. And so your latest New Year's resolution is to not make a New Year's resolution. Anybody feel that way? Because, because you have a hard time changing. And today we want to address that. You see, the key here is that we serve a God who says, I make all things new. We live in a culture that says, you can't change. You're born this way, your environment created this, and you just have got to stay that way. We serve a God that says, I can change anything. I can make you brand new. Today, I want to invite you in your Bible or on your phone to go to Acts chapter 9 with me. And we're going to see what I call the number one example of God's power to make things new. And that's the story of Saul becoming Paul. It's an amazing story we're going to walk through today. You know, over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, I am God's model of his patience and his grace. We we like to go see display models. Paul says, I'm the display model of what God can do in somebody's life. You know, wouldn't you hate to be that person in the church? You know, that anytime someone came and said, you know, uh, you know, I just don't know about this Christianity thing, and I don't know I can really change, and I don't know if it's for me. And everybody in the church always points over to this person and says, have you met Paul? Do you know about him? Do you know about his past? You know what he did to Christians? He's that model, and God, Paul says God uses this to change people. Let's watch it. Acts chapter 9, let's start right there in verse, verse 1. I love this story. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We already know in the book of Acts that he's been a part of the murder of Stephen. He's now going to the authorities in Jerusalem and saying, give me some special letters so I can go search out these Christians in Damascus. Now, that's, that's not a short journey. Damascus is at least 150 miles from Jerusalem. It can take him a week to get there. But he's so determined to stamp out Christianity, he's willing to do anything. We've seen people with that kind of fervency for a wrong cause. We saw them 15 years ago on this very day when they flew those airplanes into the Pentagon and into the World Trade Center. There were 10 men. They were bent on destruction. In fact, here's something from their training manual. They were told as they were in those planes to look cheerful and satisfied. Be happy because the difference you're going to make and the distance between the life you have now and your new life is very short. Oh, we don't agree with them. But they had that kind of conviction. And Paul had that kind of conviction in the wrong place to stamp out Christianity. And he's got this weak journey. It's my opinion on these, this weak journey that Paul's mind begins to turn over and over. 
In Acts chapter 22, when he tells the story again, God says, why do you keep on kicking against the goads? Goads were prickly, sticky things. He's, he's, he's pushing up against the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a couple of doubts in his mind. His mentor and Jewish intellectual, Gamaliel, had warned them, just, just wait on this Christianity thing. Let it play out. You don't have to persecute it. You don't have to stamp it out. God will do that if he wants to. He's witnessed the, the stoning of Stephen and how Stephen responded like Jesus, asking for forgiveness for the very people that were stoning him. And these things are playing out in his mind. And then as he's tracking down Christians, God is tracking him down. We get to verse, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He doesn't know who it is. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And then here's seven words, seven words that rocked his world. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine that moment? Everything is changed in one sentence. Now get up, God says, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. This bold, brave persecutor is now humbled and blind and being led by the hand into the city he had picked to persecute. Now look what happens. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. That's, that's always a good answer when God calls your name, all right? Yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus called Saul, for he is praying... In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, if you're, if you're Ananias, are you excited about this? Is Saul of Tarsus, you're a Christian, has he been on your most wanted list? Oh, so Saul says to the Lord, he says, Lord, what are you thinking? Have you not seen the news lately and what this guy is doing to Christians? You want me to go talk to him? Listen to what said. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and the people of Israel. I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. Now, maybe that made it easier on Ananias, that he knew that Saul was going to have some problems. But he's not too fired up about going to see this guy. He knows his life is on the line. I mean, Saul is shook up in this chapter, but the only person who may be more shook up may be Ananias. But he obeys. Then he went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Now, just think about this moment for a second. Can, can you imagine what it's like knowing Saul's past his murder and persecution of Christians, that you've got to touch him? You've got to put your hands on him and 
pray over him? He placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, what a kind way to address him. The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What a great scene. Now, what happens afterwards? Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Watch this one. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What a turnaround. You talk about a man-made new? Or the guy who's who's so vehemently opposed to Jesus that he wants to kill people who preach in his name, is now out preaching the synagogues. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? As hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners, the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul had a brilliant mind. And now this brilliant mind is now being used for God. And he's now able to put all the dots together that he didn't put together before and able to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. After many days had gone, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch of the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And Paul's got a message that his old friends don't want to hear, so they want to kill him. And here's this powerful man being lowered in a basket to just escape. And then years later, he comes to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Would you believe that? And after 9-11, you know, if someone told you that Osama bin Laden wanted to be a part of our church, how would you feel about that? Had an easy thing to embrace? It wasn't for them, except for one wonderful man. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him on to Tarsus. This man, his life has changed. Now let me just give you some some points here to close out. What are are some of the the marks of a man-made new? Six marks, real quickly, out of Paul's life. First of all, he's got a new perspective. In seven words, one sentence, his entire world turns upside down. Everything he thought about Jesus was wrong, and now he understands who Jesus was. It's a brand new perspective in life. You know, as we think today about about 9-11, 2001— We think that that was a day in just a few moments. You probably remember where you were when you heard about that plane going in one tower. And then maybe you were watching when the second plane went in the other tower. And overnight, America changed. We recognized our two oceans could not protect us. That We were as vulnerable as anyone to a terrorist attack. It was 
An incredible change. Many people were actually changed by that. You've probably heard of the actors, Alec and Stephen Baldwin. They are their brothers. They're, they're, they're sort of known in Hollywood as being party animals. And Stephen Baldwin, though, was so touched by 9-11 that he ended up writing a book about his life changing and giving it to Jesus. Here's the title of his book. Sounds like Saul. The Unusual Suspect. The Unusual Suspect. He said, no one would have dreamed I would become a Christian. And here's what turned him around. He's talking about 9-11. He said, it was an event I deemed to be a total impossibility. So I thought after it happened, now anything is possible. And if that's true, it's possible that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And Paul has had that moment here. Saul has had this moment when everything is wrong. You've had that moment, haven't you? When just, just, uh, it just things weren't working. The way you thought about things, the way you looked at things, the way life was working out. I mean, it just, it just wasn't working. And a lot of people come to those points and they just blame other people. You ever known that person that whether you knew him in elementary school or high school or college or business or on the sports field or at church or whatever, if anything's not right, they always blame the other person. You ever known that person? Have you had a conversation with them 20 years ago or 20 days ago or two days ago? There was always somebody in their life doing them wrong. We're all prone to that. Here's what I love about Saul of Tarsus. As much as he had on the line, as big as his ego and pride had to be, he knew he was absolutely wrong. And my friends, before you can really come to Jesus, you've got to come to a point in your life that you are so fed up with the way you've been running your life that you are willing to admit, I'm wrong. And that brings us to the next change in him. He got a a brand new Lord. He asked this question when he's pierced on the road to Damascus. He says to God, what shall I do, Lord? And let me tell you, he never, ever stopped asking that question. He asked it the rest of his life. And he tells us to go out and find out what pleases the Lord. And th- this man who had run his life, who was so powerful, he finally realizes, I don't need to be Lord of my life. Many of us here today, we've been running our life long enough. We've been doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And the fact of the matter is you might be at the same point where it's just not working. And you need to come to the point and say, Lord, I'm telling you what, I'm tired of it. You know a whole lot more than I do. What do you want me to do? You tell me and I'll do it. And then in this story, number three, he gets a new life. I mean, we we see this point where he's given the Holy Spirit, he's baptized. Acts 22 says, all his sins are washed away. You see, here's, here's our question today is, could I really get a new life? I mean, think about what happens. All of his past, you think, can he be forgiven for what he's done? Absolutely. Could you be forgiven for what you've done? Can I ask you, any... And don't raise your hand because it might be. Anybody here murdered somebody? Well, maybe might, might be possible. Probably not. But pro- here's what I want to tell you. You could be forgiven. Anybody in here murdered people because they lived in the name of Jesus? It can all be washed away. And God will even forget what you did. That's amazing. Talk about a new life. And then he's given the Holy Spirit for his future. Forgiveness for his past. The Holy Spirit 
to give him the power to live out his life in Jesus' name. And then he's got this new life. Number one comment I hear from people when they're baptized up here, before their baptism, is they'll, they'll say, almost every one of them, I just need a new beginning. I just need a new start. And my friends, that's what baptism was about for Saul of Tarsus, and that's what baptism could be about for you, a brand new beginning. And then Saul leaves with this new purpose. The shocking thing in the text to me is he began to preach about Jesus at once. The persecutor becomes the promoter. The greatest opposition to Christ becomes the greatest proponent of Christ. And later on, he'll write about all his old purposes of being a Pharisee and being so knowledgeable and being so strict with the law. He says, it's just a bunch of poop to me. It's just dung. He's got a new purpose bigger. Because so often, here's what happens in our life is, is we grow up with these purposes in our life. I want to make a lot of money. I want to reach this position. I want to achieve this. I want to do this on the sports field. I, and and get all, nothing wrong with all those things. But here's the deal is, in the long run, you won't be able to do it. Or even if you do it, it'll come up empty. I was talking to a young man this, this week in our church, really successful young man that's really pouring his life into a lot of people. And he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm struggling at my job because... I just don't feel like I'm making the sales I should. I'm not getting the promotions, and this guy's sort of used to getting promotions and raises almost constantly. He said, I'm just not doing what I think I ought to be doing at work, and I'm I'm struggling a little bit. And I I said to him, man, maybe you need to change your, your definition of success. You've always defined it by the money you make and by your achievement, and you've been pretty good at that. But at this point, man, I watch you. I could name three or four people that he was making a big difference in their life. I'm like, that's success. All of this is temporal. The people you're pouring into are eternal. And here's Saul. Man, he's got a brand new purpose. My friends, a lot of us are struggling in life because, not because we didn't get what we wanted. We got the car. We got the house. We got the new car smell. We got our Dairy Queen. But it's still not enough. Number five, he also got some new problems. The hunter became the hunted. One of the great lies that too many preachers will tell you today is that if you come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. I want to tell you honestly, blatantly this morning that there is a good likelihood when you come to Christ, you will have more problems than before you came to Christ. You say, well, why would that be? Because you have declared war on an enemy that can come in your life to try to destroy the stand that you've taken. Now, you will have problems in Christ. But here's the cool thing about God, is he will take those problems. I really believe back when God said to Ananias, and and Saul's going to suffer a lot of things, he wasn't trying to make Ananias feel better about the situation. What he's trying to say is, I'm going to be molding this man. You see, the biblical view of suffering is that suffering is a often, well, I don't like to look at it this way, it's a gift from God. And it's in that suffering that I begin to change and be molded into the image of Jesus. And so let me tell you, you surrender your life to Jesus, everybody's not going to like it. In fact, Saul's old friends wanted to kill him. And yours 
will too. Oh, I'm not talking about physical death. But if you've been out partying with all your friends and all of a sudden you're changed overnight, or you're used to getting with your girlfriends and gossiping, or getting with your guy friends and just letting your language be loose as anything, or you're used to just being the negative person in the room, and all of a sudden you change. You're not out partying on Friday night, and you're not willing to participate in the gossip, and you're not willing to let the language just be so colorful, and you're not willing to... You're not going to be lukewarm anymore. Now, here's what's going to happen, guys. It's just natural as breathing. They're not going to like that. They don't like that because your change makes them uncomfortable. And often, instead of me changing, when you've all of a sudden become this wonderful, fired-up Christian, it's a lot easier for me to pull you back to where you used to be than for me to change. And that's why number six is so important. Paul got some new friends. I love Ananias getting his courage up to go tell him about Jesus. I love Barnabas. His, 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 his name literally means the son of encouragement. I mean, the, the literal words back in the Greek imply when they go to Jerusalem and everybody's scared to death of, of, of Saul, that, that Barnabas takes his hand and leads him to the apostles and introduces them and says, Hey guys, I stand beside this man. You ever had that person do that for you? And, you know, when everybody else left, they came in. When everybody else turned their back on you, they said, you know what? You're my friend no matter what. God surrounded him with friends. And my friends, when those old friends begin to turn on you, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make some new friends. Many of us, let me just say to you, you are never going to really change until you change your friend set. Now, I'm not saying you be ugly or rude to your old friends, because one day you're going to want to reach them. But at this point, you're not there yet. And you've got to to surround yourself with people. That's why as a church, we're so highly relational, because we know it's the people you hang out with. It's what you become. Evil companions corrupt good morals. And so is the opposite true. Good companions change you. So we see all these things that happen in this wonderful life. So let's go back to our word to close out. Could we be new? The question's not this morning, could you walk out of here and make some new purchase and feel better for a couple days or a couple weeks? We can all do that. You could run it up on your credit card and it would temporarily satisfy that ache. The real question this morning, the real question is, could you be new? I'm not talking about just improved. I'm not talking about, and the Bible's not talking about just tweaking your life a little bit. We're talking about having a new life. And I love all the changes going on around here with schedule. And wow, I walked across through all the Bible classes today, and there was great attendance in Bible classes. And first service was great. This has been amazing in here. But guys, if we just make a few superficial changes around here and we don't change our heart, who cares? We've got an opportunity, while the outer physical is changing, for the inner spiritual to change at the same time. Now, we don't always make those opportunities. After 9-11, 15 years ago, America was more united than it had ever been. All the economic and racial divisions seemed to be gone. Congress met outside the Capitol 
Democrats and Republicans on that day and saying, God bless America together. But today, just 15 years later, we're more divided than ever. After 9-11, the next Sunday, church attendance spiked to the highest it had ever been in history. But do you recognize this? By January of 2002, it was back to the same level it was before 9-11. We had an opportunity to change, and many of us missed it. And what I am begging of you today is don't miss out on this opportunity to change. You say, buddy, why could I believe today that I can change? I've tried before and fallen flat on my face. I might believe he could change or she could change, but me. Guys, that's why we've read this story today. Because with God, God didn't just put this story in here for you to know historically, and this is not just Bible, this is history. That this guy named Saul became Paul? His, his change was so radical, God had to change his name? It's not there just for history, it's there for you. It's there for me to say, you know what? If, if I can change Saul, look at him over here in the church. If that guy can change, if she can change, do you doubt that I can change? You? You see, here's the deal. God specializes in this word new. Think about God. He's the only being who's ever created something from nothing. Just with a whisper of his voice. And this morning, what could he do with something? What could he do with you? Could he change you? Well, where's it going to start? I'm telling you where it's going to start. It's going to start just like it did with Saul. If you have that moment where you know you're wrong, when you, if you have that moment where you know life's not working the way, my marriage isn't what it ought to be, I'm not who I ought to be, you know, my morals aren't what they should be, my priorities aren't what, you, you've got to come to that acknowledgement. You see, you, you could say to me, buddy, I, I love this. Boy, I love this new sermon series. And man, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to work really hard at being new. I want to be different. I'm going to improve myself. Let me give you the bad news. You can't do it. Let me give you the good news. God can. He can make all things new. So today, if you come to our service today and your life is all messed up and you're at the place where you know it's not working and you're broken, Please don't go out these doors to fix yourself. I want to invite you to this front row for us to talk to the only one who could really make you brand new. Brand new. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing a classic old song with some words that have been added that make it one of my favorite songs. Just as I am, without one plea. Don't, don't come up here because you think you could get it together. Come up here because you can't get it together, but you know the God who changed Saul, the God who created this whole universe. He could make you new. This morning, if you come to this service and the people sitting beside you may not know this, but you are all messed up, it's probably the best place you've ever been. If you'll acknowledge it and come to him. Ananias finally said to Saul, Acts 22, 
Dude, what are you waiting on? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. What are you waiting? I'm saying to you this morning, man, if you're not right with God, if your life's going, what are you waiting on? You're in a place where people are going to love you. We're going to talk to a God who can change you. What are you waiting on? Come right now while we stand and sing.